I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a lot to learn with Austin Rogers. For the guy who knows everything, he's still got a lot to learn. Without further ado, here's Austin. Welcome, 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 welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I have no idea what time it is. Uh, tonight's going to be, tonight, today, whatever, is going to be really freaking awesome because we are here with my very good friend, college mate, Ryan Elder, who is the composer for the breakaway runaway hit show, Rick and freaking Morty. And I guess we just got to start off with Rick and Morty. What the hell? <laughs> it, okay. In anyone's, so we've got Dan Harmon behind it, you know, community mm-hmm. and stuff like that, niche sort of humor. Rick and Morty is the number one cartoon on planet Earth right now by anyone's measure. <laughs> yeah, it's insane, man. I mean, yeah, I don't think any of us would have predicted it getting even remotely this big. You know, we watched the pilot after it was made and everyone was saying, like, this is one of the best pilots I've ever seen. Just best pilot. Yeah, it's incredible. It's super funny. It's got amazing moments. But will it find an audience? You know, it's on Adult Swim. It's going to be on at 1130 at night on a Monday night. And Adult Swim has a history of hits, you know, Aqua Teen. Yeah, but Aqua Teen is nothing compared to this. And with (laughs) all due respect to Aqua Teen, it made made Adult Swim as a network. Right, right, right. It's one of their main big shows. But this is like... Unlike anything Adult Swim has ever seen. I mean, it, Adult know. Swim exists yeah. now because of Rick and Morty. They've never been number one in the ratings on any night, especially not a night where huge shows and sports were airing. Well, I was talking... Beating of- primetime shows. <laughs> Does it <You> really? <laughs> yes. I mean, it was number one in the ratings after Game of Thrones went off the air, but we were still going. Okay, that's why you brought up Game of Thrones, because we were talking... I was just talking with a friend of mine about the so-called death of, uh, what do you call it, uh, scheduled engagement TV, water sure. cooler TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to see this episode. Game of Thrones is one of them. If you don't see Game of Thrones the night it comes out, you've you got, will two, get spoiled. Yeah, you've got you, two days to catch yeah. up or else it's over. And that's two days if you don't want to go on Facebook. You don't want yeah, to yeah, go yeah, on yeah, Twitter. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you know, I like, mean, Rick and Morty is engagement television. Like, a Rick and Morty episode is on. You got to watch it right now because the next morning everyone's gonna be like, "Really? Oh man, I, lick, lick, I, lick I my balls!" You know? <laughs> yeah. When someone says that to you at the water cooler and you're, you yeah. aren't caught up, it's pretty uh, off-putting. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess I don't. I'm not aware that. I mean, you know, I obviously follow when it comes out. I like to read the discussions and I like to see what the AV club says and all that business, uh, but only because it's always positive. Right, 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 right. right. And, and, and you've also already banked the episodes. So you're like, oh, now I got to remember yeah. what, which one this was or something. Well, like that. I mean, so yeah, towards the end of the season, it starts to get where like we mixed it maybe a week or two before it airs. So it's usually pretty fresh towards the end of the season. But for example, um, Rick Shank Redemption, the season three premiere, we mixed that, I think, a month or two before April 1st when it Got when it. That was, uh, April, that was... April Fool's Day one. We're, we're still in the Shonies. We're copy. We're yeah, still yeah, in exactly, the Shonies. Exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, even, I, I don't know what it's like because I'm so steeped in it. I don't know what it's like for just people who are just watching it. And All right, well, I could, I could tell you. Yeah. I bartend on Sunday nights. Okay, okay. Uh, I will have like five or six people... Like texting me, uh, are we doing this? It's a new one, <laughs> and and people will come in the bar, and I'll look at like random people I don't know in the bar, and be like, "And eh, we're watching this right now, so uh, you could stay or you can leave." <laughs> hey, I guess uh, I better come out. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Guys, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in season four, which is whenever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know for sure, but they're writing it right now, and, and so I think. 
If I had to guess, I would say what was that middle of next year? What was that deal that was cut? Twelve seasons or something like oh, that? Oh, it wasn't a per season deal. It was a per. It was seventy episodes. Just get us just seventy get, episodes. So I mean, that's infinite. It's pretty unheard that's of. Infinite seasons. <laughs> yeah, there's a, I think it. Hopefully, I mean, it, this is just conjecture. No one's told me anything. If I had to guess, I would think that they're hoping to do five seasons of fourteen each. Right, but. It could easily end up being seven tens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, that, so uh, uh, <laughs> I want one seventy. I, I, I just want to get de- started and do it. A, a decade of Rick and Morty. It's our darkest timeline. A decade of Rick and Morty. <laughs> I mean, a decade of Rick and Morty. <laughs> yeah. I when it's all said and done, if we if we deliver all seventy episodes, we'll hit one hundred and one total episodes. And Syndication it will be, money. It will be well over a decade of yeah. the show airing. Yeah. Okay. So. All right, we got that out of my, uh, we got the fangirling out of the way. <laughs> All right, now let's talk what we're really talking about. What we talk about here is the thing behind the thing. Sure. And, you know, the intricacies of specialized and bizarre and different careers. And we went to the same classical music program. Yep. I'm a bartender who happens to be good at game shows. You actually compose music. Yeah. So no one does, does anyone else from our class actually compose music? I know no one composes music to the extent you do in that you've got IMDB credits. Right. Um I don't I'm sure there are composers. Oh yeah. Uh Paul Carolyn, is that was that his name? Oh, I don't remember. He was he was like <laughs> two years ahead of us. Oh, okay. He's definitely a published composer now. Right. Um but he's more academic composer, yeah, which yeah. is a whole other world we could talk about, but I don't know that much about. Right. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, there are several professional musicians that were in our, like yes, yes. Joe Dolson, yes, he runs conducts an orchestra. and stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, and so there are people, like a lot of people that we were in the music program with are doing music. Right. And making money off of it. Right. But yeah, it, I mean, your, First of all, I, I got really, really lucky. Let's just all right, be very uh, okay, honest. So okay, we, go, we can go, go through back. Yeah, Let's go, go back. Go back. Channel go back. 101 days, so right? So we can go back even further than that. Okay. When my mom and my dad got divorced, my mom remarried a guy, Mike Rock, my stepdad. Mike's brother... um, Tim Rock, I forget his first name because everyone calls him Rocco. He is an engineer. He engineered for this History Channel. He did sound mixing and sound uh, sound design, basically effects for the History Channel for many many years. He's retired now, but he um, he got me an internship at a recording studio in LA the day after we graduated. Like the day after our graduation, we walked. I got in my uh, Toyota Celica, which you helped me buy. Yep, 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 yep. yep. <laughs> you test drove it for me because yep. I didn't know how to drive a stick. <laughs> I, I remember that. that. I got yeah. in that Toyota Celica. Oh, wow. I drove to LA, and I. Uh, so it's May twentieth, two thousand, or yep. something like that. Yep, exactly. And like literally three days later, I was an unpaid intern at a recording studio that did music for commercials in Santa Monica. Right. I worked for them unpaid for three months, and I literally was there the moment they opened the door in the mornings till the last person left at night, just grinding, doing anything anyone wanted me to do. Um, But really, what I was trying to do was I got to use their recording studio for my own uses. On the off time. Like, so professional, super high-quality recording studio, unlike anything I'd ever seen. Um, and I get to like, if it's not, no one's using studio B, I get to go in there and try my hand at recording, uh, recording music for commercials. So as an intern, I kind of like built up a reputation there as someone who was a hard worker and B maybe had some potential, I think. And the only reason I got that internship though, was the nepotism of my step uncle. U S A. His son, my step cousin was a producer there. Right. So. Yeah, totally. It. I mean, it was luck. I was in the right place at the right time, obviously. But you still have to have talent to maintain it if you're not... If I mean, I would, I would goes, say like talent is like 5% of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 75% luck, 5% right. talent, 20% hard work. We're trying to give people hope here, not saying... <laughs> you just, no, you but just, that's... <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, but but you basically just said marry rich. <laughs> yeah, look, I... I'm lucky. Um, no, there, there's definitely, you can be talented and do really well for sure. Right. Um, I'm, this is me trying to be humble and it's also like me just constantly overcome with imposter syndrome. But <laughs> I swear to God, we're, we're in downtown LA right now. You could throw a rock out the window and hit five composers that are as good or better than me. Or, like, right. Okay. They're that's everywhere. What, yeah. There's millions of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's um, good. That's good. So you, 
it's like you need to know the right people for sure. That's huge. Like, so be cool. Be a cool person. Hang out with people. Go meet the people who are making stuff. That's what I did to get Rick and Morty, and it was a very long game. You know, I was at a racetrack recently. I went to um, an auto race at Lime Rock, Connecticut. Really mm-hmm. awesome race course. And there was a Q&A with one of the winning race teams, and this young boy asked, uh, how do you become a member of a race team? Yeah. And they actually just said, they're like, find the race team you like, make friends on that yeah, team, it's so true. hang around, pick up a broom, and just start sweeping things. And eventually, they're going to ask you to pick up a wrench. Yeah. And then they're going to ask you to pick up a tire. And then, sure enough, you're on the pit team yeah, on a race. So, yeah. I mean, there Even is... Even Noop Noop can join the Vindicators eventually, <laughs> right? This guy gets it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is going to be one long string of Rick and Morty <laughs> in-jokes. Luckily, there are so many Rick and Morty fans that it's not going to be an in-joke for many people. It's going to be like... that's. I think that's one of the special things about Rick and Morty. Everyone's like, it's my own little secret thing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's everyone's thing. No it's one wants to admit they want. <laughs> the fan base has such a bad reputation now because the whole Sheshwan thing that no one wants to like admit that they're a fan of the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, it, it, like I mean, when Game of Thrones first started, it's like I'm watching this thing on HBO. And there's yeah. like it's it's sort of nerdy, it's and I'm it's a like I mean, it's yeah. sort of cool. And now everyone's like, Yo, you watch the Thrones? Damn yeah. straight, I watch the Thrones. <laughs> I think Rick and Morty has passed that that uh, that that Game of Thrones threshold where it's like. Okay, so it's sort of like it, uh, there's a drunk and it's there's time and there's physics and yeah, you know what? I guess you just got to see it's probably not your thing. Now everyone's like Rick and Morty, yeah, Rick and Morty. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I I see I see pickle Rick shirts every day. Oh, yeah. it's I insane. saw I saw a pickle Rick. I I think I tagged you on Facebook in it, right? The Probably, Pickle yeah. Rick sun visor in the oh, yeah, Anaheim yeah, yeah, yeah. parking lot. <laughs> the first time I saw a sun visor with Rick and Morty on, I was like, oh, my God, this show is way too big. I mean, <laughs> what is, are we is, doing? Is, is, uh, is it like five steps away from uh, Rick and Morty peeing on a Ford emblem yeah, like a cow? <laughs> that has to It's got to be out there. Right? It's got to be. A, hold on. Hold yeah, on. Hold I'm going yeah, to yeah, look it up that. right now. Google that. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just keep talking about uh, how I got started. I'll fill you. Actually, why don't I fill in the blanks from working on commercials to working on Rick and Morty for you? Um, So, like, you know, Justin and Dan are my good friends, actually. So, I met them through this thing called Channel One Hundred and One, which is a monthly or a a monthly sort of pseudo film festival here in LA. Right, and you turned me on to it at least the online portal with like like a decade ago, Yacht Rock, and. Yeah, Yacht Rock was like the biggest show, maybe the biggest show to ever come out of Channel and 101. And Outlander, was that the one Wasteland, you did? Wastelander, Wastelander. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That sort of put me on the map at Channel 101. And, I, you know, I met all these people through Channel 101 because Channel 101 is no one gets paid. Zero. Like, if you ask for money, forget it. You're not working there. You're not doing anything for them. So I did so much free work. Like, and I didn't even consider it work. It was fun. Like, these people were my friends. I looked up to them. They were making cool stuff. And I wanted to work. I wanted to, like, add my voice to it. So I became friends with a lot of people at Channel 101. And as they started becoming, going from, like, people who made stuff in their bedroom to people who were making real stuff, the opportunities were there for me to go along for the ride, you know? Right. And the Rick and Morty theme was... Dog World? Yeah, it was originally written for a Nickelodeon pilot. I think it was Nickelodeon. I always get it wrong. Anyways, um, yeah, it was written for a pilot that Justin was doing. It was a straight-up kid show. It was not for adults. About um, a planet where dogs evolve from men. <laughs> or whatever you want to say. It was basically like Planet of the Apes, but with dogs instead of apes, right? Right. Uh, two, two or three human children get transported through a portal to this place and they become sort of the slaves of these dogs. Basically, humans are like dogs there. They just, you know, they curl up by the end of the bed and they act like dogs, but these kids are too smart for that. So they have to pretend to be someone's pets while that family takes care of them. But inside, inside, the, inside the friendly confines of the house, right, they can yeah, yeah. like then talk can with the dogs as equals. Right. So that was a show that we pitched, um, and Justin and I worked together on this main this main title. And uh, originally, because there was this, he wanted this sort of narration, like my name's Jimmy Smith, and I, my sister and I, got transported through a port. You know, like describing what happened on the show. So that's why there's sort of that big long buildup 
into chugga, this chugga, main chugga, title. Chugga, yeah. chugga, chugga, That's where chugga, he was going to talk, and then after that, it was going to kick into the big theme. Right. So, um, and you know that was longer, and the the Dog World one I think is like seven or eight seconds longer than what ended up on Rick and Morty. But, um, so yeah, I wrote it for that, and then when it when Rick and Morty we were working on the pilot. It was like we were moving so fast. And I was just like, hey, he was like, we need a theme song. I was like, hey, I know you love the Dog World one. Why don't we just put that in there for now? And then, you know, as as we go down the road. I'll work at something that, we can that do, fits. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it just like could never, couldn't even, didn't even want to try to beat it. Everyone liked it. It fit. You know, no one I mean, yeah, it, so. ooh, it's got the ooh, ooh yeah, yeah, sound, yeah, like yeah. the Doctor Who sort I mean, of sound. It's sounds very Doctor in Who. It's yeah. super influenced. Oh, by that, oh no. Well, duh. I mean, yeah. that's sort of what the show is, you know? It, I mean, it's, yeah, a, it, it's it, a perverse, backwards it's Doctor funny, Who. It is like Doctor Who. Um, I know Dan always says his biggest influence is Hitchhiker's Guide. I see more of Hitchhiker's Guide, maybe, yeah, than okay, sure, certainly in sure. the sense of humor. But, sure, sure, sure. I but mean, obviously, Back to the Future is the, is the, the main number one character in Right, but. because that was the short, the Doc, Doc and Maharty <laughs> was the short. <laughs> Which I did the music for. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, that's the first oh. thing I ever worked on with Justin. So totally full, full Oh, circle, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I, he was, he, so uh, he, they, I, we used the recording studio that I worked at, Emoto Music it was called, where I did ads every day as my day job. We used that to film Channel 101 shows all the time. And so they were filming this show called Phone Sexers there. And Justin <laughs> I don't had a remember character. that one. It, it's great. Uh, definitely go go watch it. But uh, Justin was a character on that. And when he was like not filming his scenes, I had to be there to like make sure you know nothing got bro- broken or whatever. He came up to me. He was like, "Hey, I'm working on this show for the next screening. I need like a little like sitcom style sting version of the song uh, from Back in Time, the Huey Lewis song." And I was like, "Sweet, yeah, I can do that in like two seconds." So I just like jammed it out on guitar, you know. Through a little ad nine chord at the end, just like every sitcom <laughs> ever, and um, and uh, it, it, it it he loved it, and like after that, we just like he I worked on almost everything with him. Okay, so that's 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 awesome. So now, flash forward, we're in the Myers of the Rick and Morty verse. Um, I think what we're really interested in is. Okay, yeah, everyone wants to be a musician. You know, I did composition, nowhere near as good as you. But uh That's not true. Well, your compositions were good. Yeah, I just never really finished them, did I? Yeah. I'm like, did ah, any close of us enough. finish anything? No, we really didn't. <laughs> uh Okay, oh wait, I do remember something. Um I remember we went to college in the height of the InSync Backstreet Boy sure. boy band days. Yeah. And um I remember you and I sitting down with like some of our other fellow students being like, this, I forgot what it was. Like it was like maybe like bye 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 or I want it that way or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And we were like, this song is perfect. Yeah. This song is perfect because Max Martin wrote it. Yeah. Max Martin writes literally I perfect. Think it was bye bye bye. I think it was bye I've bye bye. I was like, song. this song is perfect. And all the rest of the naysayers are like, harumph, 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 harumph. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. dare you guys like that? We're like, no, this is why it's perfect. Listen, it gets the hook out of the way. <laughs> it's so catchy. You know every word to yeah. it. It's got a perfect bridge. It moves. It's got all this arrangement, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and to those uh, who are McAllister class of 2000, Thousand music majors. Um, who's composing for Rick and Morty now? The guy who likes uh, "Bye yeah, Bye yeah. Bye." <laughs> I do, I do think that my uh, you know, and it was a big influence was Bit Keith Bitzenhofer. Oh my god! I mean, he gave us all music. Yeah, that, like it was like infectious. Oh my right? god! He go to sleep listening to the Rent soundtrack. <laughs> I'm still like seasons of. <laughs> that was huge when we were in college, wasn't it? I, yeah. I think, yeah. I, when did I, that come out? 97, I think? I remember my brother was in high school still, and he was rushing it all the time when it was uh, you know, at the Guthrie. So I think right. it was went I went, we were I went in. I went in. I went and saw it when the touring company okay. was around at the Guthrie yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in St. Paul. Um, do you remember, this is to go back to our composition days, do you remember that I composed a piece that was inspired by you? Do you remember this? Was it Shut Up <laughs> it was Rogers? Fully, it was, no, it was Keep Talking Rogers. Keep Talking Rogers. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a good name for this podcast. Um, oh, God. 
but it was fully improvised and it was basically all the performers just grabbed a random book. I had a bunch of old <laughs> history books and stuff. Everybody just grabbed a random book and wandered around the stage reading from the book in their, in, at full volume. And that was like the, <laughs> the composition. I, I remember the title, but I don't remember. Was that on stage? Was that? Oh enough? yeah, we performed it. New Music Ensemble performed it. Oh my God. I it don't, was performed once. I don't remember the performance. <laughs> I do remember at one of the... Um, uh, who did contemporary music? Was that Carlton? No. Oh no, oh, no it was uh, Jay Michelle. No, the other one, Jan. Jan did contemporary. Or she twentieth century. Twentieth century was Jay Michelle. Okay, that's who I took I, it from. I don't remember. Okay, well, whoever it was, I remember like walking in and sitting into class in contemporary composition or whatever it was, and uh, you guys turning to me being like. You write the final. I'm like, oh no, when's that due? They're like, right now. <laughs> so I actually, I actually found this. I in forgot my, about this. I yeah. found this in my stack of papers, and it was, it was literally. I think it's actually. I, I'm gonna call myself a fucking genius on this, but it was literally <laughs> genius because what I did was I did like two bars of six eight, six bars of six four. Three bars of three four, five bars of four four, and I just said, "Play this figure eight times, this figure three times, yeah, this figure." Very and Terry Riley, and, yes. yeah, and just did a coda yeah, yeah, at yeah. the end. <laughs> just did a coda at the end, dude. So, com- com- <laughs> academic composition at the undergraduate level is like such a joke. You can get away with anything. So I'm like, I'm like, I wrote. I think I wrote literally like eleven notes and yeah. wrote, "Play it eight times, play it four times, play it nine times." I'm like, I'm doing the math in my head and like do these all add up so it all ends simultaneously yeah. and i'm like and it does all right quick coda easy easy <laughs> coda coda play during co- someone else's <laughs> performance you composed your final yeah exactly and you probably easily got away with it oh i got go. i got i got like I, yeah. I i have the sheet at home and i it, it just said a plus incredibly yeah, creative maybe we or shouldn't something. say the name of the, the uh, professor then <laughs> i don't i i think i think it was not who we i think it was not who you said it Jay was Michelle, yeah, i okay. think it was i think it was the other one well, well, who, who you said so yeah 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 rewind the tape let's go back uh, she's retired don't worry um yeah uh that i mean it was so fun composition back then it was just like so fun you could just do whatever you wanted oh yeah like, was, yeah but it, there's having so much freedom is really really cool but for me now i would just i would die if i had that much freedom i don't know what even i wouldn't do i wouldn't work okay so let's go into structure okay yeah. so there you are. The episode has been storyboarded, scripted. So yeah, Where I work it? to the Where animatic, is which is you, the yes. it's a motion storyboard, basically yep. to what they call the radio play, which is just the edited dialogue. Because they record, they write the script, they record the dialogue. Justin usually improvises a lot. Then they rewrite the script based on what he improvised. But then they cut all that dialogue together into a full radio play, basically, and then they start. The drawing, drawing the scenes to the radio play in time with it, and it's like a slideshow. Yeah, it's a story. It's a storyboard animatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's what I get, which usually has pretty close to final timings. Maybe things are off a second or two here or there, um, or maybe they sometimes, in the case of certain episodes, they'll switch scenes from one area of the episode to later or or whatever. Right, right. So they, they they'll but just generally they'll, speaking, the animatics really close. Some least, animatics are like rock solid that's how they air well like i remember the um i remember before season three came out the pickle rick teaser animatic was yeah that was identical and that was identical to his rat his rat fight um yeah that i mean that was such an amazingly storyboarded scene like the the people that are working on this show are just outrageously good so that that scene is so intense Tons of work went into that scene. I can obviously. I can imagine it. I and mean, I yeah. had written this huge cue, by the way, that was the, during the whole fight scene, right? Like scoring every moment. It was big. It was giant. And Dan was like, "What the hell are you doing? There's not supposed to be any music here." And I was like, "Oh, well, that's easy." Because <laughs> like, uh, they wanted that's the- my favorite note to get is actually there didn't need to be music here. So I tend to overscore on the first pass and then pull stuff out. Um, which is great because then I have music written that I can use later. For All right, else. right, right, right. Reuse, reuse, yeah. reuse, reduce, recycle. 
Oh, that's hysterical because they wanted the splats and the thunks and the yeah. Everything. Well, and it was supposed to be. It's parodying a scene from Old Boy. I think I've never seen that movie. Uh it does have. Yeah, I guess and you know. And all, well, you know what else is? Well, maybe it's, it's that it's more. that linear tracking yeah, shot yeah. of Old Boy. The hallway fights. Yes. Old Boy, yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. You they know, sort of took to the next level in the first season of Daredevil on Netflix. Yeah, like a hallway fight scene, and I, the the old boy one has music, um, but the Daredevil, Daredevil one, does one not yeah. have music. And uh, Snowpiercer, did you see that? Oh, Snowpiercer! Snowpiercer does a really good, uh, a really good yeah, linear. Yeah. And my guess is also it has no music. Uh, my gut is usually like in a big fight scene to not do music, but because it was for Comic-Con and we we're doing just that scene, I was like, I'll just go balls to the wall and we can always pull it out. Right, 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 but, right. Um, for example, I never scored the scene, the Stephen Colbert fight scene with Rick in season two. Uh, in the microverse, uh, miniverse. Yeah, yeah, that, I didn't, that's a huge like fist fight between them. They're just pummeling each other. And I purposefully was like, there shouldn't be music during this. Got it. That's amazing. So you actually get that sort of input. You're like, no, I'm, I'm doing the music on this and I don't think there should be music on this. Oh yeah. This. So when, when a nor- for a normal show, not Rick and Morty, you usually sit down with the director or the showrunner or whoever and music department, and you pre-spot the show for the music. So you watch the thing down, and you go, there needs to be music here, there doesn't need to be music here. Uh, get a little closer to the mic. Um, <laughs> and and uh, so, so you pre-spot, and you decide together whether or not there should be music or not. And in the case of Rick and Morty, uh, I just spot it myself. So I'll watch it down the animatic and I'll go, this is where there needs to be music there. This is where there doesn't need to be music. I just do it and if, and like most of the notes I get are pull the music out here. Occasionally I'll get a note that's like there needs to be music here and there isn't. But 90% of the time you've got the music where it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because especially now after 31 episodes, I definitely know where there should and shouldn't be music. And so you're like sort of like a self-governed fiefdom. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I still answer to Justin and Dan at the well, end of the duh. day. And and honestly, my biggest, you know, my biggest master is the story. Like I have to tell the story. I can't just do whatever I want. Like when I watch the animatic, I just 99% of the time I don't have any choices to make. It's all there. Do you know what I mean? No, I don't. Explain what that means. So, like, for me, it's like, if a scene needs music, it needs music. That's obvious to me. Right, but what does needs music mean? What kind of music does it mean? You know? Oh, sure. Like, like you said, it's you see the animatic and you go, I know what music is there. Yeah. But do you, like, immediately know, like, ah, I need finger-picked guitars? Well, or... no, because that's not a sound of the show. But, I, I know, but, I know. Yeah, but yeah, no, so no, let, but let's say, like, let's go yeah. back to the pilot. Yeah. The pilot, we tempt. The pilot, we use temp music, which is the uh, practice of taking music that you can't own or it's from other movies or whatever. Which is how 2001 ended up with an iconic score because Kubrick plugged in all these classical pieces just as placeholders. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, actually, no, keep them. That's that's a great example of a time when temp score got put into the actual actual movie. But it happens a lot. Yeah. Um, There was a movie. What movie? Did I see recently that had a Max Richter song in just the opening, but then someone else? Oh, it was uh, Arrival. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that was uh, great. Man. Uh, Johan Johansson did the score, but they used a Max Richter song at the beginning, and I guarantee you they tempt with that Max Richter song, and that song is so good it's impossible to beat. Right, so right, they were right. just like they probably were just like, let's pay for it. It works too well. Right, and, and uh, yeah, and Johan was probably like, great, one last thing on my plate. Ah, so you don't take it personally when you're tapped no, no, out no, 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 because no. you're like less. Look, less. If, if I took anything personally, I wouldn't work for very long. Like you just cannot. You get rejected constantly. Got it. Got it's it. It's just the name of the game, especially in commercials. There, I got a hugely thick skin because on every commercial you demo for, there's literally 39 other composers demoing on the same commercial. Really? Like, especially now, it's you compete against so many people to try to get, and you're competing against library music that costs a tenth of what you cost. Right. So, why am I going to pay for a new piece exactly. composed it for this? It better be freaking good, when, right? Because yeah. I worked at an ad agency, and exactly, I, when, exactly, when, yeah. when we were making videos, uh, you know, we had a sourcing department mm-hmm. who went out and found, you know, 
uh, not freeware, but uh, library stock yeah, yeah, stock yeah, yeah. stock library music, and got the rights for it for like fifty dollars or something like that. Uh, but occasionally, like one of the creatives would put in like you know uh, a Phoenix song. Yeah, I'd be like, Cold yeah, I'm like, get rid of it, get yeah. it out of there, get literally get yeah, it out of there. Anyone right falls now. in love with this, we're screwed. <laughs> yes, get yeah. it out of there right now because yeah. if this goes any further, there goes everything. Yeah, I mean, there's a term for that. We call it demo love or temp love. Oh, okay. When the director, okay. when the director or a decision maker gets too in love with the temp music and it's so expensive, there's no way you could possibly afford it. And you just have and to. The composer just has to rip it over and over and over again until they get so close that they're like, "Look, if you want this, you're going to have to indemnify me. I cannot <laughs> legally, I cannot legally support you using this." Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Music. Mine has the extra. Yeah. Dun, dun. <laughs> I love that video, man. It's such a classic. That is a classic. Yeah, and it's getting dicier now too with these some of these recent court cases. The uh, blurred lines one is especially like really, really interesting and yeah, bad for people like me. Well, because I mean, I got to be honest. I didn't even hear it in Blurred Lines until it was pointed out explicitly right. to me. And isn't it mostly the percussion signature, which you cannot supposedly cannot copyright? Well, I mean, how could you? Like, there's that one drum break that is in yeah. every hip-hop song ever. Oh, yeah, the ever. Amen break, yeah. What's it called? The Amen break? No, that's is that the one? It's the most famous uh, hip-hop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, uh... Yeah, how can you how can you how can you trademark a percussion? Well, supposedly break? a drum groove is not is not copyrightable. The Amen break is a recording that should technically anyone who used it should pay for it. But if you but went and performed that live, if you performed it, technically an- you should be legally cleared because there's only like so many ways to organize drum sounds within a within a bar within of a, music, right? But um, the things that you can copyright is the whole sound, how everything comes together. And you can actually copyright a vocal sound. This is the insane thing. Like, people get sued for sounding too much like another singer. Uh, I just on commercials, ha- especially. I just happen to be born sounding like Bruce Springsteen, yeah. and it's over. I will never sing yeah. again. There's a famous case of someone, a uh, commercial, getting sued who contacted um, Leonard Cohen to sing on a, the ad. He said, "Hell no, I don't do commercials because." He has integrity. And, um, <laughs> and then they got someone to sound like him, and he was like, you just, you're just making it seem like I did the commercial now. Yeah. So I'm suing I'm you, suing and you he and won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so th- that happens all the time where singers will sue because someone sounds like them. Oh God! Especially if it's a cover of one of their songs. Oh well, then, well then, then it's transparent. Then you're just trying to impersonate it, exactly. Uh, but which is why we usually did when we did commercials, we were doing a cover song. Uh, we did a ton of Applebee's commercials where it was like a popular song where you had to change the words to steak and shrimp. Right, 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 um, right. Uh, like what I like about shrimp. Yeah, they basically. really know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then, if we if we, it, we would always use the other gender singer to like get away, with, uh, just to be like totally uh, legal. So clear. it can't sound like Huey yeah, Lewis, yeah. you know. So when you hear a weird cover and there's like the other gender is singing it, there's probably a legal reason for that. Uh, and to get as far away as possible from yeah. the yeah. bass, because technically, when you when you do a cover for a commercial like that, they send you the sheet music, and you're literally only allowed to do what's on the sheet music, right? 
You okay. can't. So you cannot be informed by the original recording at all. Right. So you literally re-record it and then re-record the vocals. Yeah. Note for note, except yeah, yeah. the guitars. What's on the page? If there's a typo on the chart. You have to do that instead. But you can, I'm assuming, make the guitar a little more jangly. Because, oh, you can do whatever you want. Oh, because of that. It, yeah. the notes are the notes, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you can transpose yeah, yeah. it between instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, totally. Oh, that's wild. I had yeah. no idea about that. Those were some of the most fun times I had on commercials was when we got to do covers. Just janking someone else's Because we did a ton of them song. for Coors Light, too, where it was like, <laughs> do you remember the Ann Twins? <laughs> like, that whole, that whole thing was like, we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I yes. do. How could you forget? <laughs> um, we did a ton of like well-known songs that like were about drinking beers with your buddies, and there was always twins referenced in them. <laughs> we did. Oh my god! That was one of the dumbest uh, ad oh, man. campaigns I, I ever. Like, I know. I, it was fun though. It was so fun to do these like I, like must... Lincoln Park covers of like sixties <laughs> sixties songs. We did a song from Hair, I think, where we did like a Lincoln Park like cover. Aquarius did yeah, by some, something like that. It was quite funny. Um, those were always really fun, and the singers that we would hire would always have a ton of fun with them. Like, those were, the fun thing about those is like the notes were already written, right? So you didn't really have to be. You don't have to come up with anything out of thin air. No, so you were you were you were arranging and like sort of I mean almost semi making a mockery of the of the foundation document. <laughs> like huh, wouldn't it, wouldn't yeah. it, wouldn't it be really dumb if we did this on kazoo? Do it on kazoo. No, dude, believe me, we had <laughs> rights holders hear our versions and be like Actually, no. <laughs> so you, you, they were embarrassed by the you, cover. You have, you have made a mockery. Yeah. You, Look, I never got <laughs> upset when people do these heavy metal versions of the Rick and Morty you, theme song. Like. You have made a mockery of Van Halen's right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can walk straight out of this Crystal Pepsi office. Out. <laughs> Oh man, you're you're dating. It wasn't that long ago, Austin. I, I, I know, but we're still forty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, <laughs> you know, Carlton. I believe it was Carlton who always used to say to us, he would. I think he was quoting Stravinsky or someone. There's nothing as fearsome as the blank page. Like when when it comes to composing, the more restrictions, the better for me. The right. less decision-making I have to do, and the more I can actually be creative within that one right. small sandbox. When we were first learning composition, it was like, this has to be for one percussion instrument yeah, yeah. and one stringed instrument. Yeah. You're like, well, that's great. Yeah. And I remember one of my finals, I'm like, I'm going to make it a double quartet with a piano in the middle. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have four woodwinds and four strings and a piano. And I'm like, and then halfway through it, I'm like, I really can't write for piano all that yeah. well. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I can nail, the, I can nail the hell out of these strings, and I could yeah. arrange the crap out of these woodwinds. But ooh, I am not a piano player. This is I have got oh, in dude. over my head. And you just cut the piano. Well, I've done that so many times. Like I'm like, I have this big idea to use. Something. But I started writing it on the piano. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm like, I had this great theme to start writing on the piano, and I'm like, and then I'm gonna add all the strings. Oh, and it's an awesome arrangement, and I loved it. Oh, and you did it the right way. I always did it the wrong way. Oh, no. I, I, I composed in Finale, like the software. I never composed at the piano. Oh, no. I uh, Yeah. Oh, no. That was the thing that you did also that no one else did. You were, I mean, we all used Finale eventually, yeah. but we'd write on the piano. We'd sketch it out on staff yeah, yeah. paper in pencil. Oh, my God. What a waste of time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember sitting I remember sitting with you, and like I'm like writing my things out, and it's in my head, and I'm adding all my chords in the head, and I'm adding like the arpeggios in my head, and then I'm just going to input it to Finale, and then the Finale is just to print it, and you're like, B flat. Yeah. Actually... Be natural. I mean, Finale performs it back <laughs> yeah. for you. Sure, it's like a robot playing 
but you get a sense for like how the notes work together. That's oh, by the way, f- Finale is a uh, yeah, a yeah. composition software. It, it it's it, a notation it's a notation software. software. Yeah. It's not actually it's meant, not meant to be. It's not meant on. to compose on. It's not meant to produce music. It's meant to print music yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, meant to print individual parts and scores so that you can hand them out to uh, half-assed violists to butcher later. So yeah. So now I just record everything in the computer. I don't. I all my music that I write. Well, that's what, in the computer. Well, that's what everyone does now. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, like in 1997 or whenever yeah. when we were doing this, it you was know, pretty. You were still ahead of the curve. I was like one of the only people who knew what MIDI was in our class. Like when we did electronic music, it, that class should have been called Electronic Music of the 1970s <laughs> oh, because yeah. they had a MIDI computer. But like, I used the MIDI computer. The professor didn't know much about it. Yeah, I used the MIDI. It was a, it was it was one of those uh, it was one of those Macintoshes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I used mean, I used the MIDI on that. I remember I composed something that had like 128th notes or something. And and I think our professor was like, well, it's not fun to listen to. And I'm like, yeah, but this is what the computer does that a human can't. So might as well do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I remember I remember using um I remember using that computer for uh uh loops. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure, like yeah. I imported I imported like drum loops and like because we had digital performer, I think. Like right, I one of the early versions. I like imported like, um, oh, I mixed. What was it? I mixed the Sergeant Pepper's reprise drum, the boom cha, boom boom yeah, cha, yeah, 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 yeah. with the first two bars of uh, uh, Bach. Uh, cello oh, sonata yeah. number one. So yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember, and I remember doing that, and I used the computer on that. And um, I forgot that professor's name, so let's not mention it because for fear of ragging on him. <laughs> but he was like, "How'd you do that?" I'm like. I put in the computer, I hit space bar, and then I looped it. He's like, what? <laughs> I don't think he's, uh, he's no longer with us. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, screw um, <laughs> no, no, stop. <laughs> um, in any case, uh, yeah, you know, actually, I was using MIDI when I was like six. My dad was one of the very first people probably in the country to have uh, like a home project studio that used MIDI. He had Cakewalk 1.0. It was the Cakewalk! Very, oh, I the forgot about Cakewalk! First, it was the very first MIDI sequencer that you could use at home that wasn't professional grade. And he had an IBM 8086, which was like before the Apple II, basically. Right, right. And we would, he had his, his keyboards and his drum machine, and he would take them all, he'd put them in the back of his station wagon, take them to the local bar, plug in his guitar, and just hit space bar, and have his all songs sequenced out, and he would play, perform and sing. When I was like six and seven years old, what? this was in Wyoming State. Of all places. That is amazing. So he would perform at bars like as a one-man band. Did they think he was from the future? (laughs) (laughs) He was like Magnum P.I. for playing the mustache. He was performing. uh, He he had a woman that he performed with, and they did a lot of Fleetwood Mac covers. Fleetwood Mac done on a 1984 IBM computer. Yeah, it was great. And he taught me how to do all that stuff. So I knew how to sequence MIDI like... My like basically my whole life, right? And a lot of people, because I remember going into our music program, and I had already taken AP music theory, mm-hmm. so I placed straight. You were out, way ahead on. That I placed yeah, straight yeah. out of music theory one, straight into music theory two, and music theory two was already covered by what I did on the AP. Yeah. So I slacked through that very first class yeah. too, and what surprised me was like everyone was getting into music without knowing how to do music, I thought like when you picked a major, you sort of picked what you already were going to do yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't get I didn't get that you're supposed to like try different flavors. So I'm like, I'm gonna do uh where are the two things I know already? Music and history. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, I'm literally gonna, college was really boring for you. <laughs> it was it was I was interviewed by the McAllister newspaper a while back ago and they're yeah, like, yeah. what do you remember from McAllister? I'm like, oh I remember this, I remember that. They're like classes. I'm like Hmm. I don't remember a single one. They're like, why is that? You got, we saw your transcript. You got really good grades. I'm like, did you notice I only took stuff that I already knew? <laughs> You're lucky you knew more than one thing because I only knew music and I had to take all these classes outside of music because it was a liberal arts degree. Yep. And I was like, what? I don't, this is so hard. <laughs> I had to write a paper? Forget it. Oh, and I was like, I have to write a paper. Hooray. Yeah, I hated papers. And I was supposed to be a computer science major. My dad was like, if you want to study music, you also have to major in computer science. It's like, 
you got it, Dad. <laughs> that got downgraded to a minor junior year. And then the very end of senior year, I had one huge paper project to do, you know, coding. And I was like, I'm not going to mm, do this. I don't need a minor. I already got the major. I already got the music major, yeah. Well, that's how I didn't get the music major. Yes. Because you sl- overslept I overslept piano. my piano for proficiency <laughs> test. I'm like, they're like, you can reschedule. I'm like... Now I'm cool here. Yeah, I don't want to do <laughs> I, that anyways. I, I don't want to pay. How many Lutheran hymns do I have to play in four-part yeah. harmony? Well, let like, me tell you about mine because <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. Uh, so Don Betts was the guy who did our Amazing our piano Amazing player. player. Amazing um, piano player. And uh, he was a great professor too. He was sort of my advisor that year because Carlton was on sabbatical. So Don had come to my recital the night before where like I had all these original compositions. I performed a violin. It was like a pretty good recital as far as recitals go. So the next day I oversleep my piano proficiency exam, but I'm like rushing there. No brush teeth. I stink. I mean, you know, I've been up all night celebrating my recital being done and I get there. He's like, fine. He puts, he gives me one. He like throws me a softball. It's in G, right? Like, <laughs> just one accidental. I got to worry about. I'm like, okay, I got this. And I'm horrible. Like I keep, I keep hitting F natural. Like the whole time I'm just like G major only has one sharp, one black key on the piano, which is and the I just F sharp. Never, I just, have, I, I can never play. I never remember to play it. So basically Ryan was assigned a piece that only had the white keys and one black key, and he kept missing it. <laughs> so then he's like, okay, let me give you one in C so that you can only have white keys. C is only white yeah. keys. <laughs> so, so, he basically- so that one I still am terrible at. Like, I'm way off tempo. Everything's bad. I'm just bad at piano. I didn't practice, and he goes, well, I guess I can't fail you after last night, but this wasn't good. And I was like, so I passed? That sounds like a yes. <laughs> Basically, for those who are not schooled in music, uh, Ryan was uh, Ryan was asked to draw the Mona Lisa and downgraded to just make a smiley face, <laughs> <laughs> and and he couldn't draw the smiley face. <laughs> oh my God, it we was have, more of a smirk. <laughs> we have digressed wildly. That's all right. We never. No, it's. I hope it's been fun for you because it's been fun for me because Ryan and I haven't caught up in a while. Um, Okay, now let's circle back to sure. We got the animatic. That's where we oh, stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We stopped at. <laughs> wow. I've, we stopped. Yeah, yeah. So at, we I stopped decide at, where the music goes. We stopped at. I've got the animatic. So, you know, for Rick and Morty, there's really only there's really only three or four main emotions that you have to hit at any given time, which are generally there's um, a sense of tension or drama, mm-hmm. and that's usually I play that very subtle. Uh, orchestrationally and compositionally, very subtle. Usually, tremolo strings, some uh, some interesting textures that I've found for my template and my palette that I like to go to. There's uh, action scenes, which there's almost always one at the end of every episode for usually a minute and a half to two minutes long, and that um, that those are really fun because they're big and they're action packed and aggressive, like big orchestra. Lots stuff. of hits and punches, tons yeah. of hits, lots of timpani and you know uh, horn rips and fun stuff like that. Those are like the most fun. And then there's like occasionally these emotional moments, right? Like one in particular is when in the first interdimensional cable, when Morty says the famous line, "Like nobody exists on purpose, everyone," you know. Uh, I don't remember the exact line, but yeah, come, yeah, watch yeah. Yeah, come, wa- come watch TV. Yeah, come watch TV. Just come in the living room with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's some emotional music there, and that music is like kind of, I, I say sort of like Thomas Newman-y, right? It's like mm-hmm. like a pedaled, pedaled strings with like piano kind of playing in sixths, like parallel sixths. Uh-huh. Um, that's kind of my go-to like emotional sound. And really that is like, just stay out of the way, but give it, give it a little bit of a tug. What, right. Because people aren't going to overtly know this, but they're going to feel it. They're going to get a yeah. little, because yeah. I mean, a well done score will give you, why am I crying? You yeah. weren't crying because of the scene. You were crying because of the music, you know, yeah. because you didn't notice the music. Yeah. And then, you know, beyond those three things, generally speaking, there probably doesn't need to be music. When the family's sitting around the table, everyone's making fun of Jerry. 
uh, there's no, there doesn't need to be music there. This isn't like, you know, Bugs Bunny. So your like, four, your four cues of your four cues, one of them is, uh, uh-uh, no music. Yeah. Well, sort of, I mean, yeah, uh, no, that's, no, no, that's no, a no, way to look at no, it for that's, sure. But that's, 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 yeah. that's a good insight. You're yeah. like, you know, one of the things they teach us or they actually failed yeah. to teach us in composition class was space and rests. Yeah. I think I did good with space and rests. You definitely did very good with space and rests, but a lot of people in our program did not do good. That was that. I I mean, you know what taught me that the biggest was new music ensemble. This was a fully improvised music ensemble where anyone could really play whatever instrument they wanted. I think you were in it. I was in it for a while. Yeah, that was like improv comedy. There was a big sense of give and just be generous. Let other people play when it's when you feel like they're the one doing. What's cool, at the right? Because we did the Terry Riley in C, we would right? Do in C, which, by the way, has no. Which you can rest whenever you want. Yeah, but once you rest, you have to move to the next thing. Exactly. In any case, that's Terry in C is a good example of yeah. like uh, of the sort of improvisational. It's like improv comedy or improv acting. Terry Riley in C is a linear piece of music where anyone of any instrument can play any figure in order. At any time, it's so hard to explain. It's, oh, it's really hard to uh, imagine. In words, it's okay. Like no, so no. Much Im, if you look Im, at this, imagine. Let's see if we could get this right. Imagine everyone is reading the Emancipation Proclamation, right? And someone can say four score and seven years ago, and someone else can go four score, right? And and someone else can go four score and seven years. Ago, yes, and anyone can do it simultaneously and take as long as they want or as little as they want. But the second they get to end seven, well, they have to move. I, I I'll correct you a little bit. Okay. The rhythms are set; they're on the page. You have to play the rhythm as written. Okay, yeah, and you can repeat it as many times as you want. Yes, you shouldn't probably elongate the rhythm. Right, it is what it is. And yes, it's okay, the you're right. It did but have a set the key rhythm. Is, so you say you four score and seven years ago, four score and seven years ago, four, four score, and, score seven years and seven years ago. Right, and yeah. then. But when you move on to the next line, which you're going to tell us what it is. Uh, four score and seven <laughs> years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent. Okay, so our fathers brought forth on this continent. Once you go to that line and you're repeating that, you cannot go, go back, back to, to four, four score, score and seven, and seven years. Yes. Yeah. And the idea is eventually you get to the end of the 30-something figures. And everyone's on the same yeah. figure eventually, and yeah. then you can end they the They overlap piece. in weird spots. It's like a round kind of right. eventually. Yeah. Um, but... But yeah, I mean, we, I don't know why we just went into a big description of Terry Riley's. Oh, well, no, I think it's a a seminal piece of modern music. Exactly. And it's a really foundational piece of music to find out where someone who works in contemporary music is coming from, because this is, uh, this is a this is a Moby Dick of music. This is a oh, you haven't read Moby Dick and you call yourself a literary liter, literature professor, you better go read Moby Dick. If you call yourself a modern contemporary musician, you better have listened to or at least conceptually be aware of Terry Riley's in C. I think so. I mean, it's maybe not number one on the list. But I mean, it's yeah. probably top five. It's not a it's sure. not a four thirty three. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've all heard that. Yeah, <laughs> four thirty three is a John Cage piece of four minutes and thirty three seconds of a pianist sitting silently at a piano, and you just listen to the noise around you until he closes the cover of the piano lid. You listen to the screaming voices in your head. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> That's what I hear. At uh, there's so there's so much random. And modern one of them is like a butterfly is released into the room. Play what the butterfly does oh, until yeah. it leaves the empty window. Uh, <laughs> what was? I mean, do that, you remember that one? <laughs> I don't remember that one, but that's like just like keep talking, Rogers. It's like yeah. uh, it's complete theoretical conceptual music. It's not music. It's an idea that's you just make people do dumb shit for a while. <laughs> yeah. for a while you know? Yeah. Uh, Okay, uh, let's let's get back. All right, so we're so we're so we're we've got. You yeah, know, you've blocked. You watch the scenes. You yep. know, you know what you got to do, and then like then I'll I'll separate each section of the show by cue, meaning where to, a section of music where it starts and stops. I know. Okay, in this one minute block, I've got you know thirty five seconds of music or whatever, and I'm I take that one minute block, I separate it out, and I start working on that just just that section. I usually go cue by cue, so. Um, each chunk of music in an episode is called a cue. 
music cue. And uh, I usually will not go linearly through the episode. Uh, a lot of times I like to start with the big action one because if I come up with some sort of a melody or theme in that that I like... You could drop it as I a could, seed earlier. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I, I tend to not be super thematic with the show. Like even very... Pretty rarely do you even hear the theme outside of the opening credits. I did it when Pickle Rick shoots up through the toilet. Okay. And I, there's a I, couple other areas that I can't recall right now. But okay. Yeah. I, I teased the melody of the theme there. Because um, that's a heroic moment. Yeah. So, and I knew it was like going to be the, like, yeah, the yeah, moment of the Yeah. Episode. So you want to you cue that heroic theme, you know? Yeah. Da, 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 you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't use it like verbatim because that theme isn't super heroic by itself. It's more about. But you there's have to enough, cheat a few notes here or there, but and there's enough instruments well, and in there. And it starts there. off with a jump of a fifth, which is super heroic. Actually. Right. Um, I think Superman, the John Williams Superman, or maybe it's uh, the Jurassic Park theme starts with a fifth, or maybe it's Back to the Future, or maybe it's all three. Jurassic Park is uh, that's the love theme. Oh oh oh. This is great podcasting. Two two music nerds talking music. Hey, but maybe people are learning something, so we should. We'll see. You know, hit us up in the comments, right? Yeah, rate and review us on iTunes. So once I kind of get all that music in where it's supposed to be in the episode, then I send the whole episode to Justin and Dan, and they usually will take what I've written and reconfigure it to their latest version of the cut so they can see how it works with the most recent version. And then they go, they most of the time don't say anything. And at that point, it's just when the final color comes in, I just have to conform to that. But sometimes, for example, the Vindicators episode, that I, they, we actually had a lot of notes on, mostly because Dan hates that episode. He's been very public about not liking the Vindicators episode. He thinks it's like the weakest one. Maybe he likes it, but it's the one he likes the least. Put a new new. I think Vindicator's episode has some amazing moments that I love, but there was a couple points, a couple points where the story wasn't doing what he wanted, and so he wanted music to try to help with that a little bit. Right. Um, that's pretty common, actually, when you get something where the director isn't happy and they don't know why they're not happy. They might make you change stuff, even though you already nailed it. Just Which, because. Yeah, and that's fine. That's part of the job. I, yep. I, I'm totally down. We can always go back to what I did yeah. before. Um, so we we messed around with that one a bunch where um, a lot of that one was like, whoa, tone it down. Like, bring that, bring the music from like being super melodic and interesting to like just a bed, yeah. a tone, yeah. a texture. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times Dan's notes are, let's simplify this. Let's make this more supportive and less like you don't need to take the, take the spotlight here. Right. Right. Which is sometimes a welcome thing. Cause you're like, yeah. Oh cool. I could just do a cello tremolo now. Exactly. I mean, I would never just do a cello tremolo. No, no, I know. Shut up. <laughs> no, but yes, <laughs> you're right. It is easier to do one. I would mode. never just do a cello tremolo. <laughs> yeah, that did sound How terrible. bass is that? That did sound terrible. <laughs> uh, can you cut that out? Please? No, don't cut it out. Um, uh, but yeah, like one button mode obviously is like very easy where you're just like, Oh yeah. Dang, you're just like, just ha- uh, holding you just a, keep yeah. muting each upper track until yeah. you get that foundation track down there. And like, how's that? Yeah. yeah. And all my cues are in C because I write at the piano and I don't want any black notes <laughs> <laughs> for real. No. Oh, okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> That'd be pretty boring. Okay. Let's... I don't wonder if people would even notice though. <laughs> I, I, I always wondered like, you know, obviously people with perfect pitch will notice, but I, I can tell when I can't tell what key it is, but I can always tell when it's one of my favorite keys. Oh, that's I can interesting. Al- I can always be like, "This is I, this is an A flat or an E flat." I I know it is because those are my favorite keys. So I don't have perfect pitch, but I can hear it, and I'm like, mm-hmm. "That's the appassionata." That's the same key as a passionata, which oh, is, in, wow. you know, I can. That's clo- a lot closer to perfect pitch than most people have. But then I couldn't. But if you played a random note out there, I couldn't be like, right. that's the random note. But I could be like, I can definitely be like, that's the same key as this one piece that I really love. Interesting. I, I, can, I, can, I can get that. Yeah. Or if not, I'm off by 
I'm off by step. I'm off or, or no, I'm usually off by one whole uh, oh, okay. key signature. I'm off by like uh, if it's a, a D or a G, I got it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not going to go so far as to go to A or F sharp. Oh, you know? I see what you're saying. Yeah. If oh, it's yeah. if it's if it's you're if, off by a sharp or a flat. If it's B flat, oh, if it's B flat or F, I'm going to get it's B flat or F. But I'm never going to think that it's F sharp or right, right. A flat. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is very nerdy, but um, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Look up just right now. Just, just take Google, a couple Google, intro to theory classes. Google the circle of <laughs> Google the circle of fifths. You'll get what we're saying. Um, oh, I'm in adjacent. It's fifths. Fi- I don't get to talk about what I do in with this much detail. Like I've done a few interviews, and of course, I never get to get into like. Well, because they don't know what the hell they're talking about, right? I mean, uh, you know, they're reporters. Usually. Right, they're right, not, right. They're not. Yeah. They're not. They know what they're talking about. They just choose not to talk about the things they don't know what they're talking about. Well, so this is what we want to talk about. (laughs) So the next thing I think we really want to talk about is not the music of Rick and Morty, but the songs of Rick and Morty. Sure, sure. Because songs play a huge part in Rick and Morty. Well, you know, we're doing a soundtrack album. I saw that. I saw that. And you got some huge names on it. Who's on it? Well, it's a it's a bunch of I mean the huge names are the songs that we've licensed. Some of the songs we've licensed for the show. There's like the Evil uh, Morty, music, which is Blonde, uh, Blonde Redhead, Redhead, which I've seen performed live, which there. is an amazing song to see live. I bet, yeah, I saw it live at Radio City Music Hall. I love wow. Blonde Redhead. Oh yeah, they were open. Like they Rick opened for um, they opened for Interpol. Okay, that's a good. That's a good. It bill. was at Radio City yeah. Music Hall. Unfortunately, I only remember the blonde redhead portion of the show. <laughs> I'm not going to go into why I didn't, but a young woman named Catherine knows why I don't remember the second oh, half. No. Oh no, it wasn't. It wasn't what you're thinking. It wasn't what you're thinking. It was. I wasn't <laughs> thinking that. Oh, okay. It wasn't Catherine and I left the show. It was Catherine and I metaphysically left the show in the middle of the show. <laughs> our, our, our corporeal existence was there. Our facilities were not. Yeah. yeah. And then it has a bunch of the songs from, from, from the show. That have come it. into the show. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Goodbye Moon Men's my favorite one. Yep. And so... The Bowie, the Bowie thing that we did. I remember watching on Twitter or whatever, like, uh, uh, or it was a Reddit AMA or something like that. And it was uh, Jermaine Clement who... Performed yeah, yeah, Goodbye yeah. Moon Man. Like yeah. goes, you, someone goes, Goodbye Moon Man was an amazing song. How do you come up with it? And he goes, I didn't write it. Ryan Elder did. And I'm like, Yes, that's my boy. <laughs> yeah, he's the best man. He's been super cool about shouting me out, like when he does not have to. Right. Of course. Um, he's, well, he's, he's, he's a awesome. he's a modest Kiwi. They got nothing. <laughs> exactly. They got nothing to brag super, about. Super super nice guy. Like. Um, and he, you know, he hit me up directly on Twitter after that and was like, that song's great. Th- you know, thanks for having me on the show. Like, he's, he was amazing. And most of what you hear is his first take. Yeah. Because we just had no time. Right. Like, we were recording him. He was in uh, New Zealand recording over ISTN, which is like real time as, 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 yeah, as and high. we were in LA and they needed to get his lines for the show. And we only had an hour and they spent 40 minutes getting his lines for the show which is what it takes. Right. Totally fair. Yep. But they only left me 20 minutes to record all the vocals for this whole song. Yeah. So the reason why I'm singing on the final version is, is because he didn't do the I overdub. didn't have time to get him doing the background right. vocals. So you're doing the space. Yeah. space well, no, that's him, but oh, I'm that, doing oh. the harmonies on the chorus. Right, right, right. Uh, and, but like he did, I was originally going to have him, I was going to put a delay on his voice and have him just go space and then have the echo out digitally. Yeah. And he sang the echo himself. <laughs> and we, everyone in the room was just like, oh my God, mind's blown. And we totally were like, we have to keep this. It's too funny. Like normally it would be just like an echo effect. Uh, so I mean, obviously, not obviously, I mean, to me, the first thing I heard was like, you went straight up Bowie on that. Oh yeah. I mean, that's what it said in the script. Oh, okay. It, it did. said, yeah, it a said David- fart sings a David Bowie inspired song. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you, you yeah. nailed a David Bowie. <laughs> you nailed David Bowie. It was, uh, it was, it was one of the most fun times I've had writing music for the show. And it was one of the songs where I listened to a ton of Bowie, especially Space Oddity. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, Starman. I'm looking at yeah. the chords. I'm looking at what he's doing. I knew I wanted to do the major four to the minor four to the one. Yep. Which is like one of my favorite chord chord movements in all of music. 
and I knew I wanted to do that because I knew he had done that before on some stuff. Um, so like F, F yeah, major, yeah, F yeah, minor, yeah, C yeah, yeah, is yeah. like really like a cool. I was just running I, through it in my. They head. do it like, in Coldplay's Yellow too, by the way, at the very end. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> actually, Yellow is a good song. It was their first song, and basically. as far as I'm concerned, their only song because it's not. <laughs> but Anyways, <laughs> another digression. But um, so I knew I wanted to do that, and the song kind of like wrote itself in a way because I had the lyrics, and I just started like t- I got my guitar and I just started playing and singing along, and it was is one of those things where I love it when I have lyrics to write a song for. So this one you did not sit down at the computer. You literally sat no, down. This one I sat down at my guitar And first. you sang the yeah, melody. Yeah, yeah, Because Because it's not a keyboard song. Right, right. Um, anything that's guitar-based, I'll play. I play guitar, so I'll play. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So you got to sit down with the lyrics and play the guitar yeah. and sing the melody and then be like, all right, it's in the can. Now let's go record it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, and so when is... Get Swifty. Get Swifty. So the story behind that is crazy. Season one, Adult Swim wanted to do a what they called Rick and Morty's Rush Licensed Adventure. It was a flash game, a point-and-click adventure style that they like r- literally rushed out. And in one of the scenes, you, you're controlling Morty, you go into Summer's room, and you find her iPod. It's like an old-school iPod, and it only has three songs on it. Get Swifty. Raised Up, which is Head Bent Over. (laughs) And uh, Love Connection Experience, which is a song that they sing earlier on in a different episode, I think. They're like in the spaceship listening to a song. And they're going, Love Connection Experience. Yeah, he's like, this is a really great song. I like to to experience new things. I think every day you should just try something new. I just picked the station out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So those were the three songs on her iPad. And iPod. And Justin, basically, he went in, he took some stock music that that we had the rights to the that uh, Adult Swim had the rights to yeah, and he just like improvised vocals over the top of them, and so Get Swifty fully improvised, Head Bent Over fully improvised. Yep. they're all improvised, and those were just these funny little Easter egg songs in this Flash game. Yeah, F- you know, flash forward. An, a year and the writing staff is listening to these things and fucking dying. <laughs> They're like, we have to write an episode around these. We have to figure out a way to get these in an episode. Show me what you got. Yeah. <laughs> so they wrote the Get Swifty episode. Well, long story short, the music you hear on the episode is stock music. Oh. <laughs> I didn't write Get Swifty. Oh. But for the soundtrack, due to some legal things we won't get into, I was able to create new music for Get Swifty and Raised Up that will be on the soundtracks. So, okay, okay. So they have like a whole new beat and new vibe. And when's the, when's the Rick and Morty soundtrack? That out? is coming out, I don't know the exact date, but I believe that is late September, so hopefully it's already out by now. Okay, I think that's the perfect note to get, end the, on. The deluxe vinyl is amazing. Deluxe. So go out and get yeah. the uh, Rick and Morty... It's the Rick and Morty Rickperience album. The, 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 it's just the Rick and Morty soundtrack. The Rick and Morty soundtrack yeah. album should be in stores now. And pending the timing of this, the Rick and Morty fan experience, Rickperience in downtown LA on October 7th. Yep. Uh, freaking amazing talking with maybe the most popular composer on earth who doesn't know it, uh, Ryan Elder. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can debate that all night, trust me. All right. Uh, Thanks for having me, Austin. This is really fun. This is awesome. See you guys soon. Bye. Peace. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 